good to be with you. Don, thank you. That was so rich. Thanks for letting us into the deeper story, how personal that was. Um, the struggle, uh, it's just a gift. We appreciate that so much. My name is Brian Rand. It's so good to be with you. We've been on this journey, oh, really since um, just after Father's Day. I, was, I spoke on Father's Day and then once in July and once now, and the summer's over. It's all over. I'm sorry, and, uh, and that's just how it is. There's nothing we can do about it. So here we are. We continue in our series today, the Psalms of Ascent, 15 songs that are in the Psalms. So it's amazing. We often forget that the Psalms are songs sung. There's 150 of them. It's amazing. There's a Psalm for you that God wants for you at a season in your life. Use the Psalms. They're so good for our heart and our soul. Our psalm today, Psalm 130, uh, the big idea behind it is this. You'll see it on the screen. It's this simple. Here's what I hope we remember, walk with, that God penetrates our hearts with. With God, it's worth the wait. It's interesting. Without him, it sure doesn't seem like it. But with him, it is worth the wait. Anybody like the wait? Raise your hand. You like the wait? Nobody likes the wait. It's part of our being human. But with God, it's worth the wait. Let's try this out in your head. Just say it a couple times. With God, it's worth the wait. Say it in your head. Get used to it. With God, it's worth the wait. It's a, it's a, it's a phrase worth, worth remembering. Now let's say it out loud on the count of three. One, two, three. With God, it's worth the wait. One more time. One, two, three. With God, it's worth the wait. But it's hard. It can be hard. The reality is we've had other psalms that have taught us other things. This one's teaching us this. If we review, look at these. There's a bunch of them. Uh, we're trying to hit all 15 this summer. We don't hit exactly all of them. But way back when, in June, God rescues Psalm 120. Psalm 121. God supports us. He's there for us. We look. Where do our eyes look? We look to the hills, to our maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 122. God is to be worshipped. It was Janet and Alexander up here plean with us to worship the Lord, to truly take a posture of worship before him. Then Tony, the next week, about really being humble before the Lord. And then how about the next one? I was up, and it was about remembering and requesting. Remember the big sheets of paper up here? Joy was in the middle. Remembering helps us lead to understanding that God is there, and we can have joy in the midst of requesting based on the suffering and things we're going through. And then look, God shows up us the way to live. Tabitha, about rest, about parenting. There was so much there. It's the simple ways that God has shown us to live in Psalm 127. 128, this was Ben, kind of his two-part series over the last two weeks. God blesses those who follow him, and God can be confusing. Here's what I want you to do with those right now. Where are you? So if you have your message notes, do this. Mark two of them. One that you go, oh, this is true. I've experienced this. And I believe it. And then mark the other. This one's hard. I'm not very good at this. God, I got some questions about this. Pick your two right now. I want to give you about 20 seconds to do so. The one that comes easy, you believe, you know. The other that's hard. And you're going, I don't know about this one. Take a moment. For me, it's the top and the bottom. I have experienced God rescuing me, literally rescuing me 
I could take you through stories. You'll hear one a little later today. But the reality is God rescued, he's rescued me from, oh my gosh, from crazy things I've gotten myself into that I deserve to actually be a total mess and have to deal with all the consequences. And he's rescued me from that. Two, things that are just completely overwhelming that I had nothing to do with. My sin did not cause those. But circumstance, welcome to the brokenness of life. He's rescued me from that. But then I also experienced Psalm 129 where it's confusing. Where is he? Just came back from dealing with uh, family and enjoying a trip but having to face some real issues. And the reality is I have six pages in a journal on a plane ride back asking God, why, after 35 years, have you not shown yourself in this situation? Why have you not changed this situation? Why have you not blown through this? I've seen you do this in so many other ways, but why? And do I have to wait till heaven for this to come true? What is this? Irritated, frustrated. What are your two? Open your Bibles to Psalm 130 and let's ponder more about with God it's worth the wait for this week. Because here's what's amazing. If you uh, have a pew Bible, open up to page 618 in the pew Bible. Otherwise, open up your own Bible, pull, up, pull it up in your phone. Psalm 130. And the reality, this song was sung by the Jews to remember the falling, that they could have hope in the midst of the greatest depths of their suffering. This is about when you end up in the deep end of life and it's not easy. You keep sinking and you feel like you can't get anywhere. Look at the opening line of this psalm. It speaks to those depths. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. They need relief, mercy. Circle mercy in your Bibles, write it down. Mercy, same word as compassion. They need some compassion. Maybe they got there in this mess based on their own sin. They caused their own dilemma. Or maybe they got there because life got the most of them. Either way, they got themselves in a paper bag, in a pickle, at the deep end of the pool. I say deep end because when God uses the word depths in the Bible, especially Old Testament, depths is the bottom of the ocean. So this isn't 10 feet. This isn't 15 feet. This isn't kind of light. This is really dark, really deep, really far down, deep end. Anybody ever felt like they've been that deep in the deep end? What's neat is, what's God say here? You can cry out to him. The psalmist is crying out for an ear to be listened to. And what's neat here, he shows us an aspect of God. What do you notice about the words Lord up there? They're different. There's big Lord, little Lord. Big Lord, little Lord. What's awesome, regardless, big Lord, little Lord, he's your Lord. Big Lord represents there the word Yahweh, the word that could not be said by Jews. So they made up a word, Jehovah. And that is when they're saying to the big Lord, God, hear my cry, Lord, you the one who created all things, the existence of things, the I am, you were before all was, this is the one I'm calling out to. Little Lord is my Lord. This is Adonai. This is Abba Father. This is right there next to me. Big Lord, little Lord, it's all there at your access. It shows how much we can actually approach God. It's glorious. Have you needed him in this way ever? There was a moment for me back in September 7th of 2001 
where I found and our family found ourselves in a place that needed his compassionate mercy. It was a moment of tearful, deep desperation on this day. It was four days before 9-11. Maybe you know where you were because you know where you were on 9-11. But where were you four days? The Friday before 9-11. I was at Stanford Hospital. Our daughter Emma was having her third surgery. She'd had a heart ailment from birth. They said, hey, we do these three surgeries. We'll take care of her again when she's a teen. She'll probably need a transplant at some point, but hey, we can do this. There's kids living like this. She was the middle child of three girls that we had very quickly in 97, 99, and 01. And here we find ourselves in 01, six months after our third daughter, Lisa, had been born in the hospital, 3.30 in the afternoon. I walk in after a late lunch. One of my friends from staff is there. And the young nurse, who is probably in her first year, is just checking her vitals. And the next thing she turns to me and says, Mr. Ren, we have a problem. I said, well, what is it? She said, your daughter's eyes are dilated. I didn't know what that meant. I then watched her pinch a two-year-old's foot as hard as you would, could and wouldn't want to. And there was no movement in her body. She looked at me again. Her face was completely white and scared. And she said, I need to go get somebody. I just stood there, almost feeling similar I'm feeling right now, just this void. By 5.30 after a CAT scan on that afternoon, our daughter was pronounced brain dead. We had my mom and dad on this side, my wife's mom and dad on this side, and a friend who was a nurse and her husband there with us. And they said to us, what would you like to do? Wait or let her go? I didn't answer the question. I said, could we pray? Our Jewish doctor was there. He was a good friend at that point, so we'd had some journey bowed his head, we grabbed hands, and we prayed for wisdom. My wife and I left that room, and by 6 o'clock, we kind of found ourselves in that garden patio, on that bench, underneath that tree, and the reality was we were lost in wondering what to do. In walks a 16-year-old boy who had happened to come upon us because he was stuck in his car when his aunt went in the labor, so he got taken to Lucille Packer with everybody else in the car, and we knew him from the center. And he kind of barges out and says, hey, what are you guys doing here? I tell him. Then I look him straight in the eyes because he wouldn't look at me as I told him. He was looking down. He was sitting actually kind of on the brick uh, pieces where he was sitting on that bench under the tree. And he was looking down. And all of a sudden, I said, hey, what do you think we should do? And he turned and looked me right in the eyes and he said, keep trying. Miss and I looked at each other sat there for a little bit longer, decided to wait. So we left, called, some, called the babysitter, said, you're probably going to have to stay longer with our, with our other kids, called family and friends from around the country, friends who could come local, said, come, if you can't, just pray. And by 8.30, we run another breathing test with friends now that are there, no sign of breath. What would you like to do, wait or let her go? By 8.45, I left the room. I was, in, I was desperate. What am we supposed to do? I go to the third floor of Stanford with uh, the Bible that I had with me, and I knew that God could, but I wasn't getting anything. 
And in the people in these situations, I would say to them, find your psalm. Find the emotional connection to psalm. The psalm will give you an answer. I mean, I pastored people in this way. Look through, you'll find the word of truth. And the Bible just seemed dead to me. I'm like flipping frantically on the third floor. What are we supposed to do? But then I come across this psalm in Psalm 130. It caught my attention because of the phrase, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. I then ripped the two pages out of the back of the Bible were blank and wrote this prayer. Lord, I praise you for this day. You've given us Emma's life and it is you who takes it away. Thank you for what you've taught me and given me through her. Lord, I want to wait, but should I release her? I want to let you work fully. Is there a correct thing to do? What do you mean for me? And our circumstances in Psalm 135 to 6, where it says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in, the, and in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Thank you, Jesus, for my salvation, your grace, Missy, Sadie, Emma, Elise, my family and friends, and life circumstances. Give me wisdom. Now looking back, in my most desperate moment, I knew that God there was about to teach me something, but I didn't know what. He did become a guide. And how about you? Has there been a moment when you were at the bottom and you cried out and he showed up? That's important to remember because here's what's so crazy. Sometimes we find ourselves in the depths and we deny it because this is what we think sometimes. Oh, this is too small and petty. He doesn't really want to hear about it. Or this is such a mess that I've gotten my own self into. I deserve this and I got to work this out on my own. Or this has gone on too long and where is he? I'm not bringing this thing back to him because he doesn't do anything with it any, any, anyhow. This is a waste of time. Can you relate to that? Too long? Too big because you caused it? Or too small because it seems petty? But God wants it all. Big Lord, little Lord, he's your Lord. He created you. He put you in the circumstances you're in. He lets you get in the mess you make. <laughs> he allows you to be in, it, in some things that seem just too flat long. And there you are. Where are you? Take a moment right now. What's the personal sin or circumstances in your life that you need is mercy? Remember, mercy is compassion. You need it to show up in a way to guide you out. What is it? Write it down. Get it in your head. I need you to identify it. Give you 30 seconds. And realize it could be about a relationship, a job, a direction in life, your finances, your health connecting with God. It could be a habit you can't kick. It could be your unforgiving spirit, the judgment you have on somebody, the resentment. Give it a minute. Let it rise up. What's so great, once we have it identified, I want you to realize how much you can stand before God and give it to him. Look at the next line in these psalm. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? 
But with you, there's forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you, be with you, do life with you. So much we hold ourselves back when we forget, no, we can stand before God. Look at these texts, and if you don't know them, jot them down. They're in your message notes. In Isaiah, it says, it says, your sin is white as snow before God because of what Jesus has done on the cross, his death and resurrection. In the Psalm 103, it says, your sin is as far as the east is from the west. In Corinthians, remember it says, he doesn't keep a record of wrong. That's not his type of love. And in John, this is one we all should know and memorize. He says he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. So whether it's something we cause ourselves or it seems so petty or it just seems like you've been there too long, God wants us to be in relationship with us. You look in Hebrews, it speaks to it more. We can boldly approach him in our time of need. He says he knows what we've been tempted with. He's been tempted in similar ways. He probably handled it better than us and can, all right? But we can come boldly with it. Look at this reflection question. How convinced are you that... God is approachable in your sin or circumstance. Or again, do you think, ah, oh, it's too big, I caused this myself, I deserve it. Oh, it's too petty and small, I shouldn't mess with him with it, or this is taking too long. How convinced are you? Like on a one would be, I'm not very convinced, he hasn't been showing up much. A five would be, I've seen it before, I need to go back. I need to go back. The interesting part is, as the notes say, is he's gracious and so approachable. He's just waiting for us. But here's what we don't like sometimes, the timing. Look what it says in 5 and 6. See what you pick up as the main word here. It's not very hard to identify. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, or put your name right in there. Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. How many times does he say wait in this passage? Five. Hey, you're in this place, in this circumstance, you're caught in this sin, you're caught in this, this troubling scenario. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, we don't like to Wait. Nobody likes the wait. When we sin, we want it. We either hide it or we want it. I, I'm guilty. Can we get over this? Okay? And if I've hurt you, I apologize. Are we better? No, but you got to understand, when you sin, it opens a wound. Sometimes that causes wounds in other people. And those wounds take time. So yes, you need to confess it. To confess is just to agree. To repent is to stop doing it. To not do it again. But the reality is that wound needs time. So it's probably not going to feel so good with your friend after a while because there's still, it's still sensitive. But in time, if you're gracious with each other, it'll heal. You'll get on the other side of it. But you probably got to wait. You can't force something to heal. You can't force something to heal. Circumstances, same scenario. They need time to unfold. God probably wants to do some other things. Waiting is probably the greatest season for learning. Oh, you wish I didn't say that, did you? (laughs) 
I won't go into details, but this man who plays this piano learned to play the piano during a season of waiting. I know the backstory. And when he strung the keys down like this today, I went, great Scott, he's good. (laughs) And he didn't know how to play that piano prior to 1997. But there was a season that he waited for his life to be redeemed. And during that time, he played the piano, and that impacts all of us today. I didn't get permission to tell the story. Sorry, buddy. (laughs) It was just too good, and it's too true. It's too true. You can ask him. It's his story to tell. All you know is he likes playing the piano. The reality is it is worth the wait. The watchman always wanted the sun to come up. And we're waiting for the sun to show up in our lives when we're in the midst of this and that. We have hope because he loves us. Because look, with the Lord is unfailing love. This thing is, this relationship with him is motivated by love. He has what's best for us. In waiting, he's leading us lovingly to the wonderful things he has for us. It's worth the wait. He's redeemed us already, meaning there's been this exchange where he's, he's freed us from sin, but he also wants to free us from other stuff as we wait. Worry, anxiety. He wants us to be free of things. That's what redemption means. It's a deep, deep word. Some things on earth, as I said, just take time to unfold. And then there's other things that, you know what, I don't think we'll see happen until heaven. I have a situation going on with extended family, and I go, It's been a long time. It's been 30-some years. I've kind of lost hope on that one. And I think only on the other side of heaven may I see something. Am I crying out? Am I praying? Do I get the right people around me at times to say, hey, 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 you never know. But I just told you how I feel about it. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for heaven on that one. The hopeless, I knew God was telling me to wait. I'd only read it five times, right? I walked out of that room on the third floor and went, we're supposed to wait, and we're supposed to wait till the morning. When's the morning? Now, how do I figure, what's morning? So I went sunrise, when's sunrise? I went to the first floor of Stanford Hospital. I found a paper from the day, and it told me with the sunrise for the next day, it was at 6.45. I went back up to the second floor, and I found Miss, and I said, I think we're supposed to wait till the morning. She said, okay. So by 10 o'clock, about 20 people joined us in her, Emma's room, and we cried, and we prayed, and we laughed, and we sang, and we anointed her with oil, and I was low on faith. People prayed that she would be healed and get off that bed and rise again. I didn't believe that that night. I'd lost hope. I remember dealing with guilt later that maybe she didn't rise because I didn't have enough faith. People helped me figure out that out. That, that wasn't true. People in that room had more faith than me. So that's all that mattered. But it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't God's way. The reality is how it played out was this. <laughs> By midnight, people left that room. It was as if they were leaving our home. They'd become so enjoying to have them there. And they went and stole blankets and bed sheets and hunted for coffee and hung out on the, re- on the second floor of Stanford for the rest of the night. 
I had this moment with my mom and dad that was worth the wait because we cried as my mom and dad sat in an atrium, cold in the middle of the night. And then it got really dark. But there was some light. Miss laid in bed with Emma. We brought home videos down. Somehow somebody brought down our VHS tapes and we plugged them in and we watched her life unfold before us as we were, in essence, waiting for it to be gone. But after two o'clock, it got cold and it was dark. Miss was asleep. I felt like I was not ready for an exam that was coming in the morning. You ever feel that way? It wasn't a good feeling. I cried and cried out and called the darkness for clarity. And then 6.45 came. I didn't want it to come. The sun rose. By 7, we gathered 10 people around us in the lobby on second floor of Stanford. And we asked people this question. My wife said, very frankly, I don't want opinions. I want biblical answers and truth. And she said, what does the Bible tell us about releasing a child from uh, life support? My reaction is, there is no answer in there for that. But Miss pressed on. People flipped through their Bibles. And somebody gave us Genesis 2-7, which says this. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Miss and I looked at each other straight up and just looked at each other and said, Emma can't breathe. If she can't breathe on her own, God's taking her life. We can release her. By 7.55, Emma failed the final breathing test and two friends were in the room with us along with our parents and one of them read Lamentations. And listen to these words related to the psalm today. Yet this I call to find, this is Lamentations 3.22 to 24. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail, his mercy They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Emma was disconnected. She was placed in the arms of Miss as Miss sat in a rocking chair. I sat next to them. And within seconds, I don't even know if it was minutes, the nurse said her heart has stopped. The wait was over. For the next 30 minutes, though, people streamed in, and it was this beautiful, deep with sorrow and pain, yet rich with sobs as people streamed in and knelt down and said goodbye to her as a mom held a daughter in her arms. It was glorious and so, so painful. Within the next hour, we laid her on a bed and we touched and shed endless tears on her and had a final conversation with her heartbroken surgeon who had a a two-and-a-half-year-old or two-year-old daughter also. And then we said goodbye. And we headed to breakfast because we didn't want to go home because it was a four-year-old daughter that we had to tell her why her sister wasn't coming home. As miserable as that sounds, with God, it was so worth the wait. Can you imagine if on Friday we would have closed up shop and at 6 p.m. said, yeah, let's do this. We would have missed the whole thing that God had led us into. The evening with our friends, the darkness of the morning, the answers in the early morning, 
the powerful scene on that Friday morning from 8.04 to 8.30 that I wish this Friday I could take every one of you with and have you experience it with me. I would go back through the pain to experience the richness of that. It's worth the wait. You know this in your own life. You've been through it, but it's been worth the wait. The infertility that became fertile. The provision that showed up. The job you couldn't believe that happened. The person you actually forgave and have a relationship with them. It's so worth the wait. But here's the challenge. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it's happening. And we're just stuck waiting. Over 15 years, I've come to conclude this is what you need when you wait. Because this is what got us through. It's these simple things. But they're so hard to hold on to. The first is you need God's perspective. You need his perspective. Kevin, it's the next slide. You need other people in your life. And you need to endlessly cry out to him. Endlessly cry out to him. These are the tools that you need to figure out waiting. But I've seen it. I've seen it in other people's lives. It's worth the wait. I don't know where you are today, but I want to encourage you right now, if you're waiting on something, whether it's something that seems so small and petty, and why should we even let God mess with that one? He doesn't need to mess with that one. Or it's so big and you're so self-condemning that you're stuck. Or the reality is you didn't cause it and he hasn't shown up and you're hacked. Would you stand right now if you're waiting for something? Because what I'd love to do is just pray over you a prayer about waiting. So stand if you're waiting for something right now. And hear this prayer. This prayer comes out of a little book I found in an antique shop. And I've memorized this prayer and sometimes I change the words. It's in your message notes so you can take it home with you. And as you wait right there, here's the posture of waiting. Holding on to it, so hold on to it with one hand, and then releasing it. This is called active indifference. You're fully involved, but you're giving it to God. Let me pray over you. Good morning, Lord. This is your day, and these are your children. Show them your way as they wait. Father, give them joy and strength to be all the day faithful children who wait on thee without fear and without care for your love, Lord, is everywhere. And Lord of hope, oh, fashion them ever, ever more to serve and be like thee. Take their selfish hearts and their impatient wills and Lord, with your love and with great trust, May their mind and body fill. Lord, bless these people today. And I was once taught by an older woman who had lost her voice and wanted to give up. Lord, I ask this, that Lord, you would give these folks patience today, but you would hurry. In Jesus' name. listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.